there's a bit of a rumor floating around that uh, somebody might be might be having a birthday. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. It's been a long time since I was on the radio when my birthday came around to even acknowledge there is one. Yeah, Friday, October the 16th, I turned 66 years old. Where did the time go? Okay, now with that behind us, I want to get on with the program today. This is the Friday and weekend edition of Truth to Ponder. And today I've just got a lot of little things on my mind that I wanted to share with you. Some things that I've seen in the news, some things that are just frankly on my heart. And like I did on Monday, just a little bit of behind the scenes on some of the things that are occurring here at the radio program and and podcast. So far in these, I think we're now have done our 30th radio program since we began this process uh, back a little over a month ago, about a month and a half ago now. And it's been an experience getting used to having to budget my time in such a way as to be certain that I've got the radio show done in plenty of time to get to all the places that it needs to go. For example, the Friday and weekend edition are not just aired on WRMI shortwave or a couple of other radio stations and podcasts. It also has to get out a little bit earlier to to make it to the Voice of Hope in Zambia in the uh, eastern part of Africa. And we're so thankful for the opportunity that we've had in being able to be on that facility. Oh, it's been a number of years now. And, and I hope if you get a chance to listen that you have enjoyed our times and our talks together. And I've heard from people that have heard the facility over there. And so I'm appreciative. I'm thankful for the opportunity to be on WRMI at the moment. We are on the air uh, Monday through Friday in the afternoon at 4 o'clock Eastern on the frequency of 9455 kilohertz. And then again at 6 p.m. And then four nights a week, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday at 10 p.m. on 9455 again. And if you listen on shortwave, as I've been trying to tell you all week, it would really help me to know if this is a worthwhile investment. I do still believe in the power of shortwave. And I do believe that we need to use it in terms of ministry, especially in these very strange times in which we live. One of the concerns on my heart, you've heard me talk about this numerous times. We're coming into a time where political correctness and really insanity, forget correctness, just insanity, is trying to shut certain messages down. If you say things as a Christian that people in the world don't like, they want they don't want you to have your freedom of speech like they demand for themselves. What they want to do is they want to silence you. They want to destroy you. They want to literally eliminate you from the uh, from the public square, so to speak. Twitter is, is Twitter has become just a basket case. If you say the wrong thing, you get banished. Your account can get canceled. 
if you say the wrong thing on YouTube. And we're not talking bad language, just just start talking about the coronavirus and and disagree with the so-called official narrative. And you'll find you're you're not getting very far on Facebook and your YouTube account or YouTube video may disappear and nobody else can ever see it again. We're coming into a time that in order for the truth to get out, it's not going to be coming from the big corporations, even the more conservative ones, and I'm not going to name it, but I think a lot of a lot of people listening in the United in the United States are aware of some of the cable news channels that lean more conservative overall. Some of their hosts have some excellent material. But it is a large corporation that has to answer to advertisers in order to survive. The amount of money a TV network needs to operate, even on cable, a news network, is astronomical. And if enough people boycott certain products, well, those those TV channels can be in financial trouble. So there's a lot of compromise, I'm afraid, that's coming on, and it's going to be even more so as the days and, and months and years go by. We truly do live in a very unusual age. I can remember I can remember back growing up. I don't remember people being as angry at each other as we are today. And maybe this is the fault of this could be the fault of even social media. I mean, let's be honest. I think social media hasn't done a whole lot in in helping our society. More people get more angry. More people see something you post and don't like it. They jump all over you. Or they report you as some kind of hate speech if they disagree. I hold a view for traditional marriage. That's considered by many hate speech. How dare you uphold just traditional marriage? One man, one woman. Why can't it be two men or a man and a dog? I mean, literally, we are in this age I'm always amazed, and I really think this has been part of a plan for ages. Look at how much historical knowledge our kids have today. I was reading an article the other other morning about how when you compare what high school students knew in 2011 versus what they will know graduating in 2021 next year, the amount of history, the amount of history that our young people know is dismal. They, they, they couldn't even tell you who were the opposing parties in the Second World War. I mean, who were the United, who was the United States primarily fighting? There are primarily two. Well, they don't even know who they are. They couldn't tell you anything about World War I. They know little about the Vietnam War. They know nothing. They know nothing about Paul Revere. It is amazing how little they know about the Supreme Court of the United States. It is amazing how little they know about our constitutional government. It's amazing how little they know about how a bill comes into law. They have an amazing lack of understanding in the most practical things we need to know. 
If you go back to China, back in right after World War II and the communists started to take over, as the communists wanted to get a better control over this massive number of people, there were several things that needed to happen. And in any despot group that uh, conquers a nation, one of the first things they try to do is erase the, the losing nation's history and traditions and customs. It's easy to do when you start killing off the older people in that society the older elites, the older rulers, they're gone. And then you indoctrinate the younger people into the new order of this nation. That's how it's done. When you lose your sense of history, you lose your bearing. It's an amazing thing to to realize that in China, starting in the 1950s and really ramped up in the 1960s, the Cultural Revolution and the Red Guard. These were, these were like college students that had been brainwashed since the takeover of China. And they were out there empowered, empowered to destroy the old customs. Millions of people that held to any Chinese history or customs died. Millions died. 30 million at least We are watching our culture being destroyed. You've heard the term cancel. We're going to cancel this. We cancel that. We now have a cancel culture that is brewing out there. You're looking at young people joining groups like Antifa, and and I'm going to come out and say it, Black Lives Matter. One of the saddest things about Black Lives Matter, it's a wonderful concept, but the organization is scary. Go to their website. Look up what they believe in. This group, Black Lives Really Don't Matter, if it's a unborn black child. Black Lives Really Don't Matter, if it's a youth in Chicago in a drug deal gone bad. Those lives don't matter. It's all about tearing down the institutions of this nation and replacing them with a counterfeit, replacing them with a lie. And this is something that I have been seeing now for quite a while since, well, since Black Lives Matter first, you know, popped its head out a number of years ago. Watch some of these young people in the face of somebody else screaming, Black Lives Matter. You better say it. You got to say it. Wasn't long ago. Wasn't long ago in a restaurant, and this is happening in a number of places, where somebody's eating a meal, and all of a sudden these protesters break into the restaurant screaming Black Lives Matters and demanding that everybody in that room raise their arm and shout Black Lives Matter. This is not a protest. This is not a protest at all. It's intimidation. It is absolute, total intimidation and indoctrination. These young people know nothing about their history. They have been brainwashed into thinking they're somehow so important for this cause. And they're going to bring change to the world. 
I've got nothing against change, especially when it's for the good. I have nothing against technology when it can be used to better ourselves. But I have an issue with brainwashing. I have an issue with our public school system that has that's become everything that Mao Zedong in China wanted in a cultural revolution. Our children in most public schools today are not being educated about history. They are not being educated about who we are, where we came from. They're being taught to hate our nation. They're being taught all the Marxist values of socialism. Teachers all over the nation are getting found out by their Facebook postings and the things that they say. This pandemic has has awakened many a parent here in this country to some of the horrible things that are going on. A parent listening to one of these online classes, some of them are shocked at what they hear. This is what they're teaching our kids? When asked for an assignment, somebody, a young student admired he indicated that he admired donald trump well the teacher went ballistic and started berating him just berating him and talking about how evil trump is and how much better biden would be this is a public school teacher this individual admires the president of the united states I guess if it was, oh, I don't know, four years ago, and we're talking Barack Obama, probably that would have been all right. And he would have been complimented on his choice. Instead, he's told he's supporting a racist, a homophobe, a thisophobe, a thatophobe, and any other phobe you can think of by a brainwashing indoctrination center authoritarian instructor. This is what our school system has become, a sewer, a psychological sewer. You have young people today that when you talk about just basic, basic fact, they will tell you that truth is whatever you want it to be, a very Orwellian concept. You talk to some of these people and say, okay, so if I tell you that, oh, I don't know, two plus three equals seven. And instead of saying, no, 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 that's wrong. We all know two plus three equals five. They'll come back. Well, if if that is your reality, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to believe that two plus three equals seven, it's perfectly acceptable. This is what is going on in our public schools today. And can you believe on average we're paying twenty to $24,000 per year per student in these declining and decaying morally indoctrination centers? It is no longer a school. It seems that politics... And social justice mean more than understanding mathematics, history, and English. What do you think? Am I off base? 
Do you think that I'm telling you something that's incorrect? I look at today's young people and my heart breaks. My heart literally breaks when I think when I think of how ill-equipped many are going to be as they move from school to college and college to work. The idea of honest hard work is a concept that is not really being pushed today. So many things have happened in my lifetime. Yeah, I'm 66 on Friday, October the 16th. You may be hearing this program on on either Saturday or Sunday after as the weekend show. And my heart is broken at all that I now see in this world of ours today. My heart is broken. How else can I put it? I I look at my children, grandchildren. I've been very blessed that they all have the gift of common sense at minimum. I had the opportunity of helping educate some of the grandkids. And so they seem to be a step above most, and they're not afraid of hard work. They will accomplish something with their life. But my heart is broken for the young people today whose parents have been so busy. We're going to talk now before the pandemic, before the pandemic. Parents were so busy with their clubs and their activities. They both worked and they wanted some downtime. There's athletics and there's sports. And things like raising a child in the fear and admonition of the Lord became a major inconvenience to that lifestyle. But we're a nation where we still have a lot of people saying, we're Christian, we're Christians. You know, we're talking here, cultural Christians. They're not genuine, they're cultural. Yeah, my, my daddy was a Methodist or a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Roman Catholic or Orthodox Jewish. Just go down the whole line of whatever faith background somebody could come. And you find those that are cultural in their religious identification. I mean, they'll go to a funeral. They might even attend a wedding or two. They might even attend a baptism or something along that line. Because we have to do it for the grandparents' sake. That was happening 20 years ago. And even before the pandemic, I can remember with the weekend radio show that I do. I can remember back with the weekend show. One of the things that really stood out and in my mind was how many people have stopped going to church even before the pandemic. I can remember it was like late last year, maybe November of last year. I was giving you some statistics that on average between 50 and 60 or more churches in the United States closed their doors forever each week. If you didn't hear that, let me say it again. In any given year, in any given year here in the United States, 
prior to the pandemic, between 50 and 60 or more churches closed their doors forever each and every week. Between five and almost 7,000 churches have closed their doors. Now, many were small to begin with and aging out. I understand that. But why, why did they age out? Because the young people stopped coming. People like me, a baby boomer, stopped coming. And our children rarely, if ever, went. And the grandchildren are clueless. A lot of this exodus from the church began. It began during the baby boom generation coming of age. And the children of many of my friends were never taken to church. They were given. I'll give you one that really bothers me. I have someone I know that talks about church, and they were going to go to church. And then I said, well, why aren't your kids going? Oh, I let them make that choice. Really? You let your children make that choice? Oh, yes, I think they should make their own choice about coming to church or not. And so I asked a question. Can those kids make the choice to skip school? Well, of course not. What about brushing their teeth? Can they choose not to brush their teeth? And I'm, no, you that's crazy talk. Of course they've got to brush their teeth. Can they stay up all night? And then try to go to church, go to school on a you know like thirty minutes of sleep. Of course not. They have to be in bed. And suddenly it dawned on them. I said the most important thing that God charges a parent to do with the child to raise them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, which is also the beginning of wisdom. They let them choose the easy way out. Now stop and think about that for a second. They choose that easy way out. And maybe the parent will go to a church and the children stay home engrossed in a video game, engrossed in their phone, engrossed into things maybe they shouldn't be even doing. But it's easy on the parents. They don't have to argue. Then other parents set an example by if anything else better comes along on a Sunday, they choose it over the church. Look, I get it that there are times you can't make it. I get it. I understand more than anybody you can imagine would. And now the pandemic is going to become the new excuse on why people do not go to church. They're going to be afraid. I'm afraid to go to church because church is going to kill me. I'll die if I go there. If somebody sings, I'll get the coronavirus and die. This week, and like I say, I'm recording this before I'm heading out. This week, I'm spending a couple of days up in Virginia, actually almost three, two and a half days in Virginia. And I'm flying because it's just a lot easier time-wise. And, you know, yeah, it's not cheap, but it's all things considered, it's the best way to do this. I leave on Wednesday. I get back Friday night. The meeting that I'm going to, I believe, is that important that I needed to spend the money to do this. It's with some of my clergy brethren that I haven't seen in quite a while. 
and I'm going to be getting on an airliner. Yeah, I'm going to be flying. I'm going to fly from Greenville, South Carolina, which is the nearest airport to our place here in Georgia, and from there to Washington, D.C., the Dulles Airport, and then from there to Charlottesville, Virginia, and then I'll get a car and run up to Waynesboro just a little, about 20, 25 minutes away. And I'll be in this airliner with a lot of other people. And I'll be wearing my face mask because you have to. Now, if you can put all these people in an airliner with a face mask for an hour and a half, two hours, um, why can we only have such low capacity at a church? I mean, you're going to be inside of a tube of people. And maybe, yeah, sure, you can, you, you can not use the middle seat and fly at 30% capacity, but you're still a couple of few feet away from somebody for an extended period of time. You could do better social distancing if that is how we're going to save ourselves. In a church, the average church, and you can do in an airliner. So when somebody tries to explain to me that this is all about a virus and our safety. I'm going to share a little funny story that somebody did at the other side of our break here as we come up to the bottom of the hour. And I'm, I want to talk about something very personal in the next half hour that I really want to share. We don't value life anymore in this country. We, we just don't. Black Lives Matters is a joke. It only worries about the tiny number of maybe 8 to 13 uh, young black men that may be unarmed that might be shot by a police officer in a country of 331 million people. But they are totally dead silent on the 10, 20, between 10 and 20 each weekend that die at the hands of other young black men in Chicago totally silent those black lives don't matter and those black lives snuffed out before they're even born matter even less how do we get that way i'm going to share some thoughts on that in the next segment i want to remind you of our program this is truth to ponder and our website is truth the number two ponder.com. That is truth the number two ponder.com. We are currently, at least uh, through the month of November, maybe even into December, going to be at our home here in Georgia. And I really would like to hear from you how you are listening. It's very it's very important. I've got to make some decisions in how this program is put out on the internet. I'm using some platforms still that I've been using for quite a while, and I just don't feel comfortable. One is Anchor, which distributes this podcast to a number of locations. And the other one is Spreaker, and they also do the same thing. Now, it's wonderful that many people have told me they can, with their Alexa device, go, Alexa, play Truth to Ponder podcast, and there it is. They can hear it. Smart speakers are a blessing. 
We're going to try to use the technology that we can get our hands on to get this program out to even more people than we ever have before. My issue with Spreaker and Anchor is they are commercial entities, and sometimes there are commercials you have to listen to 30 seconds of before the program begins. And for a while, even in the middle of the program, there were commercials, and I'm, I'm finding out and hearing that some of those commercials are in contradiction to what we're trying to say and do here. And so I have to decide how I'm going to platform this program going forward. Simply putting it on the website is not the best way to do it. If too many people start listening, it's difficult to listen. We, we, we've just got to find a better way. And then it comes down to radio. What kind of radio stations could this program be on? You know, we're not buying airtime. We're looking for those that are willing to carry it. We might come up with a second version strictly for commercial radio stations or non-coms that need to have room for a newscast and station IDs. I understand that. Been in radio 50 years. And then, of course, on international shortwave. We've been broadcasting on WRMI on a couple of frequencies, and I think two nights a week, Monday and Tuesday, even on a, on a fourth frequency. But it's time to make some, some hard decisions. I really believe that shortwave is a powerful medium. But maybe the way we're doing this is not. I'm looking into some things that may or may not happen. I'm praying about it diligently. I'm trying to decide whether to continue in in November on shortwave because I'm just not hearing from anybody telling me that they listen. I get maybe one or two letters after six or seven weeks. And I'm going to have to, you know, dig into our savings to cover the month of November when the time comes. Now, I'll do that. I do that. As long as there are people saying that it's worth listening, I'll do a little bit. I'll go a little longer. But if you're not listening, if you're listening as a podcast, maybe it's time you let me know before we continue to contract for more radio time. It's a matter of being a good steward. If nobody's listening, then there's no sense, you know, being on that platform. And I'm not trying to, I'm always hesitant about even talking about this kind of stuff because it just goes against my grain. I don't like to do this. This is not me. But then again, St. Paul says, let the need be made known to the churches. And that's what I'm trying to do today. Let me know if you're listening. Right now, we're going to take a break. Be back in just a few minutes. This is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. The unblessings of God. Shalom Aleichem. This is the nice Jewish boy, Jonathan Kahn, your Jewish connection, bringing you the riches of your Jewish roots in Jesus. Now get your pen out as fast as you can so you don't miss out. I'm receiving a special free gift you're going to get and love in a moment. Now, the word today is Baracha. It's Hebrew for blessing. Try it. Baracha. If you want to live a joyful life in God, you have to learn the secret of treasuring your unblessings. What are unblessings? Well, unblessings are all the things you don't have. 
See, it's important to learn to dwell on all the things you don't have in life. For instance, you might be depressed because you're dwelling on the fact that you can't live in the house of your dreams. But how about dwelling on the fact that you aren't homeless? How about the fact that you're not living on the streets? That's not part of your life. You might be down because you're dwelling on the fact that you haven't become successful as you wanted to be. You don't have a lot of money or riches or a life of ease, but how about dwelling on the fact that you don't live in a third world country where right now you have to be searching for your next meal so that you wouldn't starve to death? You see, if you're not going to give thanks for all the things that are in your life, how about thanking God for all the things that are not in your life? It's just as the old saying goes, I complained because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Take time today. Make a list of the things that are not in your life, your unblessings. Give thanks to God because you'll realize that you have no shortage of reasons in your life to give thanks to God when you see all the things in your life that are not in your life. You want to live a joyful life? It's not enough to learn to count your blessings in the Lord. From here on in, learn the equally important secret of counting your unblessings. Want more? Ask for the blessings of lima beans. Now, would you like to be faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Or how about just move mountains? You can. With Sapphire's, the super spiritual supplement to turn your walk into a super life with God, plus the incredible mystery of the temple doors, all free. How do you get all this? Easy. Just remember Jesus' real Hebrew name, Yeshua, and dial it. It's 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's it. Just call now and you'll get it. Just dial 1-800-YESHUA-1. I invite you to join with me in the Great Commission to bring salvation back to the Jewish people and to reach millions of unreached peoples around the world on five continents. Just call now. 1-800-YESHUA-1. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A-1. Or write me direct, the nice Jewish boy, at Box 1111, Lodi, New Jersey, 07644. That's the nice Jewish boy at box 1111 in Lodi, L-O-D-I, New Jersey. And the zip is 07644. Well, until next time, this is Jonathan Kahn saying, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you, my friend. In Messiah, Habaracha Elohim, the blessing of God. is Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. And welcome back to part two of Truth to Ponder for this Friday edition and weekend show edition. I want to thank all the stations that do carry it. And I appreciate those of you that, that take time to listen. I've been trying to track how the program is doing and growing. I didn't ask for, shall we say, a whole lot when we started. I just wanted to know that the show is doing something important in your life. When I started my weekend show about five and a half years ago, it was actually March of 2015 when the first program, your weekend show, aired. And I wondered what the future would hold. I thought maybe we'd try it for a year or two, maybe three. And now we're over five years. During the early part of this pandemic, if you remember listening, if you're one of the weekend show listeners, I spent about six weeks, seven weeks up in North Carolina. Besides radio work and ministry, I've had an unusual career. And one of the jobs that I fell into 
a number of years ago. I didn't look for it. It kind of found me. And it was at a time in my life, and I've shared some of my life with you, and I'm going to share a couple little stories here in a moment that I think can be a great help to you in your life. But I was at a time in my life when I was kind of between where I need to be ministry-wise, and and I needed something to do to keep time occupied. And I found this job I was offered to work for a for an emergency management agency. Now I was I was hired primarily because of my broadcast background and what I was going to be doing, you know, in in that regard. My, my job was very simple. I was going to be a public information officer. I'm used to working with media. I'm used to writing press releases. I'm used to communicating. And I thought that I would do that job for, you know, till I got closer to retiring. Because at the moment, at that time, it just seemed that all the ministry doors were briefly closed for a period. Well, that job kind of grew out of nowhere. I ended up having the opportunity of training and cross-training to be able to stand in in other things and, and times and places. And before I knew it, I'm able to operate the emergency operations center of this of our agency. I knew how it worked. I started learning how the various functions come together in a time of disaster. And I developed some excellent friendships over the years that I was with that agency, including the director of that particular agency. But the time came around 2014. The time came to put that behind me. Those years were fun. But I knew the time had come to move on to something else. I never thought I'd be doing anything again in emergency management when I left in 2014. Though I kept up with the business, I just never saw that as an option for me. At the beginning of this pandemic, I used to keep, I kept in good touch with people that I had worked with over those earlier years. From shortly after the time that my wife passed away until 2014, I did a lot of this other kind of work. And I'm in Florida, remarried, a wonderful widow, and we're building our lives, and the phone rings one day, and it's my old, uh, it's my old boss, my old partner in, in crime, so to speak, and he said, have you heard about this pandemic? Now, we're talking, this is in February. I said, yeah, I've heard about it, but what's going on? He said, we're going to need help where I'm at now in North Carolina. He had left where he was for a much bigger agency. He said, I need your help. He said, you're both good at public relations, and also, I'm going to need your help in planning on how we're going to have a response. A lot of moving pieces. And I said, he asked if I consider it. I said, yeah, I would, and I did. And so I traveled up to North Carolina, real early March, before it really got intense. And I got settled in and I got exposed immediately to all the information that emergency managers were working with around the United States. Believe me, when when reporters say that uh, the president didn't care 
and ignore it. He certainly wasn't because that information was flowing to every emergency management agency, state by state and down to the the county level. We were told what to prepare for. We needed to get our plans in place quickly. We had a deadline. And you don't want to scare everybody half to death when there's nothing you can do, nothing we know about at that point. Long before we started counting infections and deaths, we were already gearing up for what was to come. But I learned a lot during that experience. I can remember the idea we're going to pause for two weeks, maybe three, and we're going to get rid of this, and life will go back to normal, and we're going to get a little check from the government to keep our heads above water, and we're going to beat this virus. You know, like 15 days, 15 days to slow the virus is now day 230 or 225 or something like that. I, I can't remember. And here we are still dealing with this particular virus. I started understanding that the numbers we were preparing for were never going to happen. These huge numbers were not going to take place. So what do you do in a case like that? How do you deal in a case like that? Call it the wow moment. And I'm realizing as we came through April and we were getting into May that all this preparation was overkill. And my heart told me as much as I'm enjoying the income and it was wonderful for a retired guy to have this extra financial boost when others are going into financial hurt, I was very thankful to Almighty God for that opportunity and that experience to try to help people. But I realized that, no, I can't stay there. I could have, but I, I, I couldn't. It wasn't right. It simply was not right. So I opted at that point to, to say, listen, I'm going to head on out and stop the clock from ticking here. And if it gets bad again, just give me a call and I can, I'm sure I can find my way back. And so I left. But during the time that I was in North Carolina, I still produced from my hotel room your weekend show. And each week I tried to share with you some hope and encouragement early on. And then I began to recognize the, the politics of this pandemic. And I suddenly recognized how we have become such a hyper-political nation. Politics is everything. You want to win at all costs. The idea of the citizen legislature. It's all run by professionals now. And I, it troubles me that we've gotten away from the things that made our country great. We are not teaching our young people anything about history, so if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. If you don't understand World War II, if you don't understand the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia in 1917, if you don't understand the millions of people that died in wars and purges in the 20th century, if you don't understand those things, you're doomed to repeat them. 
of the reasons I do this program is to bring you news, information, but most important, hope. The most important thing I can give you beyond information is hope. And I hope you and I hope that means something to you that that's what I'm trying to do. We started the program today in the first segment. I mentioned that uh, October 16th, Friday, was my birthday, is my birthday, depending upon when you're listening. And I've seen a lot in these 66 years. Now, I don't remember everything when I was really young, but I've seen a lot since from the time I have my first memories and how things have changed, how neighborhoods are no longer neighborhoods. I can remember as a young child, I knew who my neighbors were, behind me, down the street, up the street, and this is in Long Island in New York. People still got along back in those days. So here we are today, all these years later. I do want to share a little bit about the circumstances of my being in this world today. I was born to a woman in Brooklyn, New York. That's where she was born and raised, though she had left for a time for California. She was an unwed mother. And she realized while staying with her brother in California and dating a Marine at 29 Palms that uh, she was pregnant and the brother sent her home and never let the Marine know exactly what happened. I understand something now more than most people do because of my unique circumstance. I was born in 1954. Roe v. Wade came before the Supreme Court in 1972-73, and that's when the ruling came out, 1973. Had Roe v. Wade occurred 20 years before in 1953 instead of 1973, I wouldn't be here because that would have been the convenient and proper way to get rid of me in this problem. My mother's father, my biological grandfather that I never met, was even trying to figure if there's a way to do it even though it was illegal, but finally resigned himself that it was going to be too difficult. And besides, she was too far along for for that risk to be taken. And so I come into this world in the month of October, in the year of our Lord, 1954. As I said, I was born to this this woman. Her name was Arlene in October of 1954. She had been back in New York. She was returned from California by her brother on a train all the way back to New York, oh, sometime in the spring. And there she was in this brownstone, you know, these where you had like a two-story house above like a store or something in, in Brooklyn. This is the Bay Ridge section. That may mean something to somebody. 
Her father worked with, did woodworking and built, you know, stuff for restaurants and, and taverns, the woodworking, and then took care of the wood. And she lived there with her dad. Her mom had passed away years before. And she was very lonely. Because remember, this is this is 1954. We're talking now entering the summer of 1954. And if you're pregnant and not married, a lot of people will avoid you like the plague. They're not going to want to hang around with you. Your your damaged goods. And the story's told, and, and I'll tell you how I know this. I actually, years later in my 30s, did a tremendous amount of effort. I actually found my biological mother then living in California. So I learned all this from her firsthand. My mother was sitting out there on the front steps right by the sidewalk. A brownstone is right there at, you know, you don't have a front yard. And she was sitting out there in the front steps on this rather warm day in the end of May, getting near June. Just felt miserable about her life. Didn't know what she was going to do. She and her dad were kind of at odds, but, you know, he was just trying to do what he could to help her, his daughter. He had not done her well for so many years, so he felt obligated. And while she's sitting there on the front steps, this young gal comes up and stops and, and says, Hello. How are you? My name is my name is Lee. What is your name? And my mother was kind of surprised that somebody would, you know, it's obvious she's pregnant and be surprised that somebody, a stranger in Brooklyn, would suddenly want to strike up a conversation. And they started talking, and this gal, Lee, sat down on the step with my mother. And they started talking and sharing, and, and my mother says, I don't know why, I just felt... I could trust her with everything about me and all my problems and all my anxieties, just on and on and on. My mother says, I can't remember how it came about, but within a day or two, Lee had moved in. She moved in to that house and stayed and cared for my mother all the way up till I was born and for a short time after. Somebody making sure she ate correctly. Somebody making sure that she took care of herself, which she was known not to do. October in 1954 was kind of a fascinating hurricane year. And before you believe all the nonsense that global warming or climate change is making hurricanes more severe, yada, 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 don't believe it. You can go through history and find worse hurricane seasons than what we just went through this year had a lot of name storms and we've had some damage especially on the gulf coast in louisiana in that region but there have been hurricanes that have been more massive than that i can remember when the climate alarmist first talked about hurricanes getting bigger and badder was after hurricane katrina and we're told that we're going to have super storms and then we went for almost 10 years with nothing So if you want to believe that it's climate change, you're welcome to, but the facts don't back you up. 
only the silly emotion. But let's get back to the most important part of what I'm trying to tell you. A hurricane had brewed, and it come across, and it was in the Atlantic again, and it was heading up the coast. New York City doesn't often get hurricanes or hurricane winds, either does Long Island, but it does happen on occasion. There were several in the 1930s and the 40s and again in the 1950s. And I can remember. So in October of 1954, there was a hurricane that came into being. In the first week of October, a tropical wave formed in the, in the Caribbean, actually not too far from, you know, the Lesser Antilles and, and that whole region of the Windward Islands. And it began to form, and then it came between uh, Haiti and the strait between Haiti and Cuba. And it came up mm, a couple of hundred miles off the coast of Florida and ended up coming into the Carolinas. Now, this was a big storm. I mean, it was huge. They... They were trying to figure how big this storm was, though it had a small eye, but it had fairly intense winds. It came up, they're estimating wind speeds between 85 and then 125 miles an hour. Even the hurricane hunters experienced terrible turbulence, which hospitalized crew members. And eventually, it made its way closer to the United States. And now it's finally going to impact New York. Not a direct hit, but it gave because everything was on the eastern side of the hurricane. It affected the east coast of the United States, Pennsylvania, New York, even into Ohio, crossing into Canada before it became a depression and faded away. It was on that night It was getting rainy because the hurricane is out there that they decided to go get some pizza. This is before delivery and all that kind of stuff. So Lee went down to the local pizza place just down the street and came back with a couple of pizzas and they had that and and they knew it was getting near her time. And then late that night, she my mother began to have her first labor pains. And so Lee and my mother's father, my biological grandfather, hopped in a taxi cab and went off to St. Elizabeth's Hospital in New York. And in the wee hours of the morning, October 16th, around 5 a.m., I came into this world as the hurricane was finally fading away. Lee stayed on for a couple of more months. In fact, she really encouraged my mother to have me dedicated and baptized at a local Lutheran church just down the street, which they did. Years later, I actually talked to the pastor, and he said, I never normally did an outside-of-the-church baptism, but I felt that I had to. And so there, in December, I was baptized at a Lutheran church. My mother hung on to me for another several months, and eventually I was put up for adoption a little after my first birthday, around Christmas time of 55. 
And at, um, you know, 18 months of age, I was adopted into a family in Long Island. Had that baptism not occurred, I would never have ended up with that family. I could have been anywhere. My mother is, was, she's since passed away, was convinced this had to be a guardian angel of some kind because she magically seemed to appear and after you're baptized said, I have to leave now and left and I never heard from her again. This is a true story. God really does intervene in our lives and all lives are precious and matter to him. That's why my heart breaks when people get wishy-washy on, on a life issue. Or they try to turn the table and say, well, you just care about the unborn. You don't care about those that are. You better believe I do. It's not about holding anybody in submission. Life is tremendously valuable. Well, the time is going to get away from us for this weekend edition and Friday edition of Truth to Ponder and your weekend show. And I want to just talk to you for a moment in these closing moments. Is this program being a benefit to you? Are there any suggestions you can make? Anything that could be done differently than I'm doing now? I really need to know. I really need to know if this program is a blessing and a benefit for all of you that listen. Also need to know how you're listening. I'm getting indicators that this program is growing as an online offering, as a podcast. And it's very convenient for many to listen that way when the time suits them, when it's best. And if you do listen as a podcast, well, let me know. And what platform? See, one of the things that I'm concerned about is some of the platforms I'm using, well, they're commercial platforms and... Unless I want to pay a little bit more, I'm kind of stuck with their advertising. And sometimes those advertisements may not be in keeping with the tenets of this program. What I believe and what needs to be said and done. So that's why I'm coming to you to say, send me a letter if you would. Send me an email. Email address is easy. Just go to the website, truth2ponder.com, truth2ponder. You can email from there or just go to, just write Bob at truth2ponder.com. And let me know how you listen to this broadcast. If you're listening on shortwave, it's vital that I know because I've got to assess what limited funds that I have. Do I place them into this or do we do something else? I'll never know about the number of listeners on shortwave until you contact me. Our mailing address, by the way, is easy. 21 Berkshire, B-E-R-K-S-H-I-R-E Lane. Add the number 263 in Sky Valley, Georgia. Zip code is 30537. That's 30537. And until Monday's program, this is Bob Bierman. Wishing God's greatest blessings upon you. This has been Truth to Ponder with Bob Bierman. To find out more, visit our website, Truth, the number two, and the word ponder.com. That's Truth, the number two, ponder.com. Truth to Ponder, shining the light of truth in a darkening world.